Parshas Pinchas. When reading through Parshas Pinchas, we see that the Torah is telling us about various things that happened near the end of the 40 years in the Midbar, as the Am Yisrael approached the border of Eretz Yisrael. Many things are enumerated there. The dividing of the territory of Eretz Canaan among the Shvatim, the laws of inheritance, the appointment of Yeshua to replace Moshe Rabbeinu, other things too. And then in the middle of everything, all of a sudden the Torah turns towards the subject of Korbanus. It's in Parshas Pinchas that HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose to teach the dinim of the Korban Tamid, the daily offerings brought on the Mizbeach. Command the Bnei Yisrael and say to them, My offerings, my bread on the fires, you should make sure to bring for me as a sweet savor, Pinchas. And not only the Korban Tamid, other Korbanos as well were taught then. Everyone knows that on Yom Tov we stay in shul a little longer because we take out a second Sefer Torah to read the Pesukim of the Korbanos, of the Korbanos Musaf from our Parsha. But the question is, how do Korbanos come into Parsha's Pinchas? Out of nowhere, in the middle of the Parsha, suddenly it falls in. It's a bit of a mystery because there's plenty of room in Vayikra among all the other Korbanos. And it would, have fit in, it would have fit in there just fine too. What's it doing here in, Pin, in Parshas Pinchas? The question is, one that the Malbim asks. And we'll listen now to what this wise man answered. And I'll add to his answer a few embellishments of my own. Ideas that I heard from my Rebbeim in Slobodka. The Malbim states that as follows. HaKadosh Baruch Hu now told Moshe Rabbeinu that his time in this world was coming to an end. You will soon pass away, said Hashem, and you will not be permitted to enter into Eretz Canaan with the rest of the nation. And yet, there was even more distressing news than Moshe Rabbeinu heard that day. At that time, HaKadosh Baruch Hu conveyed to Moshe Rabbeinu a prophecy as follows. You are soon going to lie down with your forefathers, and then after you're gone, this nation will arise, and they will go astray after the false gods of the people of the land. Now as long as the Am Yisrael was in the Midbar, living in close proximity to Moshe Rabbeinu, this prophecy could not come to fruition because of Moshe Rabbeinu's powerful influence as well as the fact that the nation was isolated from the Gentiles and lived together in one camp. There was nothing to fear. But once the nation would be settled in Eretz Yisrael, Yeshua would lose this, that strategic advantage as they would begin to be dispersed throughout the land. And as great as Yehoshua was, he wasn't nearly as great as Moshe. And so Hashem said, the people will arise at that time and they will go astray after the strange gods of Eretz Canaan. Now, did it come true? To some extent it did. It doesn't mean everybody, no. The majority of Am Yisrael always remained loyal. But as the nation spread out in the land, there was a general weakening in Avodah Hashem. The, f- the fire of service of Hashem dimmed among the people. And that's what the Torah calls straying after Elokai, Elohei Nish'ar Ha'aretz. And so the Malbim explains now that Moshe Rabbeinu was about to leave this world and this peril would materialize. Something had to be done to protect the Am Yisrael. And because of this danger, HaKadosh Baruch Hu inserted the Parsha of Korbanos 
right here. Now, such an answer that korbanus would be the way to protect against the peril of avodah is not something we can understand while standing on one foot. It needs to be explained very well, and so we'll take it one step at a time. We'll start with, with we'll start with what the with what the Rambam in Moed Nevuchim tells us is the sole reason for korbanus. The Rambam says the Rambam says like this. Although you might be surprised that I say this, that's how the Rambam starts. But the mitzvah of animal sacrifice is only a form of appeasing the people so that they shouldn't feel deprived. Because the people were accustomed to seeing such things being done by all the umas ha'olam. All the oiv de avoy de zoro would serve their gods by bringing gifts of food to appease their hungry gods. So the Am Yisrael wanted to do the same. Of course, you people here laugh at such an idea. You think you're so much better than that. But when we look at ourselves, we see how hard it is to oppose the opinion of the public. The nations around us think a certain way. They act and dress and talk a certain way. And to go against them is extremely difficult. Even from Jews are influenced by the hashkafas of the Gentiles to a very big extent. Even though outwardly we still maintain all the dikduke mitzvahs. But in the mind, we become affected by their ideals. And so says the Rambam, to give the Am Yisrael a Torah which omits a form of service so universally practiced, they would feel deprived. All the nations are serving their gods in such a tangible way. They're feeding the Baal and the other gods. So we want to do the same. So we want that too. Hashem, we also want to serve you like that. And so HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, I'm going to, to allow you to serve me like they do. And he gave us Korbanos. Now I'm sure you'd agree that this statement of the Rambam appears to be quite puzzling. Does it make any sense? Does it make any sense to say such a thing? Everyone does it, so I'll let you do it too. The goyim go to the theater, so I'll let you do that too. A real Americaner is excited over sports, so watching baseball should now be avoided. Hashem, it sounds ridiculous. It has to be explained. And so we must say that the purpose of Korbanus is not merely as appears when reading the words of the Rambam. There's something much more here, and that's what we're going to speak about tonight. And in order to understand what the Rambam is teaching us, we'll first study together another piece from the Rambam's Moedin Nevuchim. In the Moedin Nevuchim, the Rambam spends a great deal of time on a subject that to us seems superfluous. Even if you would learn the Moedin, you would feel like skipping the first third of the Sefer because of this lengthy topic. What is it that the Rambam discusses there? It's pages and pages about Hagshama. That means the personification of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that we find throughout the entire Torah. The Tanakh is full of expressions that attribute to Hashem physical characteristics like a person, Chas V'Sholom. For example, Yad Hashem, the hand of Hashem, or Ene Hashem, the, his eyes, and even emotions such as Vayinachem, Hashem regretted. Vayitzat El Libo, Hashem sorrowed in his heart. All of these expressions impart a physical conception of Akadosh Baruch Hu. They are terminologies of human characteristics applied to Hashem. Now this is something that bothered the Rambam very much. Why does it say such things in the Torah? Ene Hashem. Hashem doesn't need eyes to see. 
He made eyes for us to see. But he sees everything without eyes. Yad Hashem. Hashem needs a hand. Hashem gave us hands and he gave us the power to do things by means of our hands. But he doesn't need a hand. Utmunat Hashem Yabit. Moshe Rabbeinu looked at the image of Hashem. Bamidbar. Does Hashem have an image? Can you see Hashem's picture, his face? And the Nevi'im described the throne of Hashem as well. It's impossible to say such things. And yet in the Torah itself, this is how Hashem is portrayed. With eyes and hands and a face and a nose. It's something unbelievable. In the Torah, everything is portrayed in a most physical way, a most bodily way. And therefore the Rambam has a big job on his hands to explain away all these expressions. And he was up to the task. He goes through the entire Tanakh and spends a great deal of time interpreting these expressions out of their simple meaning. He explains that they are, they are only allegories, phrases, that shouldn't be understood liter- literally. He spends time explaining them away. It means something else. It's a figure of speech, a parable, an analogy of sorts. Whatever it is, the one thing it's not is literal. And the Rambam makes a point to tell us that anyone who thinks that these expressions are literal, not only is that person misunderstanding the Tanakh, but mean? he is a mean, a heretic, and he loses his share in the world to come. And that means when it states that HaKadosh Baruch Hu regretted that he made man, he sorrowed in his heart. It's heresy. It's real Hagshama. And it's forbidden to think that. Now that means we have a very big question on our hands. It's a question the Rambam asks. Why did Hashem put, why did Hashem put so many pitfalls, so many perilous words into the Torah? How could HaKadosh Baruch Hu fill the Torah, HaKadusha, the Torah Chaim, the Torah's Emes, with such booby traps? At every step, a man can trip up and Khalila loses because he believes in the wrong kind of a boyday. If he prays to such a creator, he's praying to the wrong address. Instead of, instead of praying in this direction, he's praying in the other direction. He can say the word Hashem and he could say he believes in Hashem, but he's a mean. Now the Torah could have told us the truth. Like for instance, what Rabbeinu Sadia Gaon does in his parish on the Torah. Take a look there and you'll see he explains. Vayoma Hashem, not as Hashem said. Does Hashem have a tongue and teeth and lips? He speaks? Of course not. Rabbeinu Sadia Gaon writes there, Allah. Allah means Hashem willed in Arabic. Hashem willed the world into existence. Hashem doesn't speak, He wills. The Targum Unkelus does the same thing. He always attempts what we call, what we call harchakas hahagashma hahagshama to explain away the gashmiest words of the Torah. He dodges every one of these problems by taking the trouble to reinterpret these phrases in an abstract sense. So why doesn't the Chumash do that? Why does the Torah have all these expressions? that need so much effort to explain in a way that they don't mean kipshuto. Hashem could have written better than Rav Sad Yagon. He could have made use of harchakas hahagashama, just like Unculus did. And he could have done a better job of it too. 
But no. In the Torah it says that Hashem spoke and Hashem saw his eyes and his hands and his throne and his feet. What's his business of the Torah of being Magshim Hashem? Chas v'sholem. Why did the Torah use such expressions that are capable of misleading the people into such errors? Errors so perilous that will make them lose their oilam haba. And it happened. Don't think it didn't. There were many people who read the Torah and took it literally. People fell into a great error. There were good people who believed that Hashem has a very big body, a very holy and tremendous body, noble, illuminated, not so materialistic like our bodies, but it was a body. And he has tremendous arms and big eyes that can see. And these mistaken people pointed to the words of the Torah to defend, it, to defend their belief. And so it's a very good question. Why would the Torah create such a pitfall? And the answer is as follows. If the Torah wouldn't have done that, there would be a bigger risk. There's a bigger risk than thinking Hashem is physical. And that is not thinking about Hashem at all. That's the real risk in this world. When you think about Hashem with no conception of Him, then even though you might say His name, you might go to shul for davening, it's almost the same as not thinking about Him at all. That's one of the greatest dangers for a person in this world. To waste our lives saying Baruchat, Baruch Atah Hashem. Saying Hashem, Hashem all day long when the word has almost no meaning to us at all. That's even worse than having a false picture of Him. And therefore it's better to make use of physical descriptions of Hashem as a mushal rather than to think of Him as an abstract concept. A word in the Siddur. We'll take one example for now. Three times a day we say the words V'chara af Hashem bachem. And the nostrils of Hashem will flare up in anger against you if you ignore his words. Af is nose in Lashon HaKodesh. So you're saying his nostrils, will, will, his nostrils will flare up in anger. Of course it's not true. But if the Torah wouldn't say that, so you would think you could flirt with Avedis. Because what is it anyhow? It's just an Aveda. It's useful. It's important to think that Hashem is furious. The worker has to know that the boss will be angry at him. That's what you tell the worker. You don't say, it's against the rules if you do this or that. A report will be written up against you. No, you say the boss will be furious with you. And so we say, Hashem will be furious. It's impossible to say such a thing. But we say it anyhow because it has an effect. And for the sake of being aware of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it was worth the risk of falling into the error of, of Hagshama. That's why last year when a pious man put an ad in the Jewish press, he wrote there that the fury of Hashem will be kindled against the man who makes New Year's parties. Why did he use such an expression? Hashem doesn't lose his temper. He's always calm and always happy and his wisdom always burns like an eternal light, a flame that doesn't flicker. I can't tell you much about him. You'll have to wait till you get there. But there's no question that saying Hashem is furious is applying a physical expression to Him. And yet that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants. He wants us to have Hargasha Chishus, a sensory perception of Him. And because we are physical, we have eyes and hands and feet and feelings. So in order for our mind to actualize and feel the presence of Hashem, we must make use of our physical and human features as Misholim in order to relate to Hashem. A word in the sitter, an ideal, that's what Hashem is? Oh no! 
Hashem is more personal, more real than we are real. And that's why we're in this world. To acquire perception of Hashem as very, very real. More real than anything else in our lives. It has to be real, a powerful and tangible emotion. And that sensory perception of Hashem is called Da'as Hashem. That's what we came to, that's what we came to this world to acquire. In the Gemara Sanhedrin it states, Gedoy how great is this quality called Deya? What is Deya? The Midah of Deya is distinct from Chochmah. Chochmah means to have information, knowledge. Deya refers to the quality of that knowledge. And this we see every day, that people learn certain facts intellectually, but they are far away from the person's feelings. Here's a mother baking in the kitchen, and she tells her little boy to keep away from the hot stove because it hurts, it burns. Now this little boy has no doubts at all about his mother's wisdom. For him, everything his mother says is an, is an encyclopedia, is an encyclopedica Britannica. If she says it, he has full amuno without any sphacus at all. But what does he do? He's a curious little boy after all. So he goes and he puts his finger on the stove. And now he cries out, Oh, it hurts, mommy, it really burns. Now the question is, what knowledge has been added now that he, that he, not, he, that he did not possess before? His, mo- his mother already told him it burns. And he believed her. He knew that already. The answer is, before it was Chochmah, but now he has Deya. There's a big difference between accepting certain principles and actually living with them. For example, everybody believes in Oilam Haba. If you're a Jew, you believe, you believe in the next world. Absolutely. But do you actually live with that belief? It's somewhere in the back of your mind, maybe when you're about to die, it occurs to you. There's really a next world, something more than here. So it's a consolation to a person on his deathbed. But he doesn't actually live with this idea, with this ideal of Oilam Haba. That's because we have Chochmah, but not Deya. We know that someday we will, will, we know that someday will be our last day, but nobody believes it. We think we'll get out of it. I'll finagle my way out of, out of it somehow, you're thinking. Now, if you ask him, do you believe in death? He'll look at you with indignation. Absolutely, what's the question? But when a person sees death take place before his eyes, that makes a tremendous impression on him. That's really when he starts believing in death. There's a vast difference between Chochmah, knowing something intellectually, and Deya, knowing it with a sensory perception. And that's the very big function of man in this world. To take the great intellectual concepts, the truth of this world, and make them real. Now what is the greatest intellectual concept? The most important of all things in this world. The answer is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's nothing more important than HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And we believe in Hashem, certainly we do. But what does it help a man to subscribe to belief in the existence of Hashem when actually Hashem is never in his thoughts? How many times do you speak about Hashem at the table while you're eating breakfast or lunch? President Reagan, he's real. He has a nose and a mouth. He walks and he talks. And you've even seen pictures of him. So you believe implicitly implicitly in President Reagan. And so he's the one you think about and speak about. But Hashem, Hashem is so far from your reality that you hardly ever think of him as a kale chai vikayam a true living being. Your Uncle Morris in the Bronx, 
He's a true living being. Your mother tells you all the time about Uncle Morris. And maybe you met him once at your bar mitzvah. At your bar, at your bar mitzvah. But you don't remember. You don't visit him. He doesn't visit you. But you know you have an uncle in the Bronx. Now if you would believe in Hashem as much as you believe in that uncle, then you're pretty good. I want to compliment you. And if you would practice up some, we'll talk about how to practice soon. If you work on acquiring Das Hashem, and now you believe in Hashem like you believe in your neighbor next door, so that's even greater. You're already a tzaddik. Don't laugh. It's not easy. It's not at all easy because your neighbor has a face. You see him every day. And it's much easier to believe in someone you see than a word in, a, in the Siddur. But however difficult it is, no matter, that's your job in this world. To be as aware of Hashem as you are of Chaim, your neighbor next door. That's a great perfection. It is man's perfection in this world. Man's perfection in this world is measured only by his knowledge of Hashem or lack thereof. The big question is how do we do it? Talking about it is easy, but how do we acquire Das Hashem? Now there are many ways and each one is precious. Each one is a diamond. But one of the most important opportunities is tefillah, davening, talking to Hashem. You stand up and you ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu for what you need. You say, Hashem, Rifa'enu, and Aleinu Barech. And everything else we're busy asking for. Now, if you're asking, so you're talking to someone. You're not talking to yourself after all. Of course, if you're davening just by rote, just saying the words, so you could be saying words for years and years and still not acquire any Da'as Hashem. Any Da'as Hashem. You see that all the time. Old men who come to shul every day, three times a day, and still they don't have any more sensory perception of Hashem than they did 50 years ago. I'm not, I'm not talking about now, I'm not talking now about those people, the multitudes who pray and don't think at all about the words. If you don't know what you're saying, so you're like the Zulus. A Jew who doesn't know what he's saying, so he's like a Fiji Islander. If you would ask a Fiji Islander, what does it say in Ashrei or in Az Yashir? So he'll shrug his shoulders. The same shrug these Jews would give you. If you're not going to try to learn what you're saying, you might as well drill a hole in your nose and hang some beads there. Take off your pants and dance the island jig. It's the same thing. You're a Jewish Fiji Islander. How could you pray every day and have no interest in what you're saying? No interest in who you're talking to? But I'm talking now to those of us who know what we're saying. And still there's a big question. Why do you have to daven? Why do you need to ask Hashem for things? Can't you just think it? Don't say anything. Just think. Hashem, heal us. Actually, why do you have to think at all? Hashem knows what you need. You have to tell him. He didn't know. And now you let him know. Why do you need the whole davening? It seems like such a superfluous thing. The answer is this. Hashem doesn't need our davening. We need it. By means of davening, we accomplish for ourselves the biggest achievement of life. Das Hashem. True knowledge of Hashem. The more you talk to Hashem, the more you believe in Him. I told you this story once, but I'll say it again. One morning in the shtibul of the Rebbe from Berdichev, the Rebbe 
sent his Gabai up to the Bima during davening to make an, an important announcement. In the middle of davening, the Gabai gives a clap on the Bima. The Rebbe wants everyone to know that there is a Reboina Shaloylam. In the middle of Pesukah de Zimra, a special announcement. Remember Hashem. Because even when you're looking in the Siddur and you're shaking back and forth, you need to be reminded that Hashem is not just a word in your Siddur. He's really there listening to you. What we're learning now is that there's a paradox that's required of us. There are two parts to davening. One is what we should think and one is what we should know. What we, should, what we know is that ain lo guf lo It's us or to even think that Hashem has anything physical about Him. He has no physical form whatsoever. Intellectually, we have to know that He is niskab umromam alkol. Tehila, elevated far above any physical concept, higher than anything that could be expressed in words. And at the same time, we must gain daya, a sensory perception of Hashem. You have to know before whom you, you stand. However much you know, it's not enough. You have to think about it all the time. Hashem is in front of you. He's listening. He's listening. He's listening. That's what da means. You are listening. You are really listening. So you'll picture yourself standing in front of a big king. That's how Hashem showed himself to the Nevi'im after all. Like a king sitting on a throne. Ram Venisa. Because it's so important to know Hashem. To gain a, per- a perceptible awareness of him. So for, our, so for our benefit. Hashem gives us permission to imagine that a compassionate old sage. Is standing in front of us. And listening to us. Or a king is sitting on a throne and looking down with kindly eyes upon us and listening to us. Now exactly what type of picture we should have when we daven doesn't matter. But no picture is real. It's just imagination. And so each person can utilize whatever picture is more beneficial to him. You're not just saying a bracha. Even saying a bracha with peidosh amilis is not enough. The single most important kavana is the word ata, that you are talking to somebody with a capital S. The Mesil Zeshadim says you should picture HaKadosh Baruch Hu standing in front of you. He's paying attention. Yes, my child, what are you saying? He's listening to you. Oh, Hashem is listening to us. He's real. And therefore, the first and most important attitude required for making a bracha is not the Peter Shamilis, but the attitude of Ata Hashem. You Hashem, there's really somebody listening. It's a mental tightrope you have to walk, because otherwise you forget entirely about Hashem. And therefore, the Torah chose to take the risk of Hagshama, because Das Hashem is more important than anything else. So we have a right to think those thoughts. Even though we know that these thoughts are only forms to help us gain an awareness of Hashem. And that's why the words Ata Hashem are so important. That's number one. The first thing that you must work on when davening and when saying brachas is gaining the attitude that you are speaking directly to Hashem and that He is listening. The truth is that He is listening, no question about it. But you have to work on gaining that true attitude. You can't wait for it to come by itself. And so if you're thinking about Hashem, very good. But when you speak to Him, it's ten times better. Not only by davening. Let's say you're walking down the street and you think, 
I love you, Hashem. You're thinking, very good, very good. But if you say it, it's different. It's a different thing entirely. Did you ever say, I love you, Hashem? Did you ever say it once in your life? Try saying it once in, once in a while. It's a different thing. It's not the same as thinking it. It's an entirely different experience. Once you say, I love you, Hashem, you're a different person altogether. But how can you love something that you don't know? Go and try to love a siddur. Okay, maybe a siddur you can love, but try to love a word in a siddur. It's impossible. But you have to love Hashem. It's a command like all the other mitzvahs. When are you going to fulfill that mitzvah? How many people have ever felt a real love for Hashem? How can they? It's impossible to love a name in the siddur. You can't love an idea or word. Hashem has to be real to you if you're going to love Him. That's why, that's why when you say Hashem, you should think that He is Avinu. He's our Father. You say that, don't you? Halohu avicha. He's your father. Avinu, you say. My father. Oh, a father. That's a different story already. You start thinking, a father is kindly. He has love and pity. He brings things home for you. You remember when you were a little child and your father came home from work and he put you on his knees and gave you a little toy? Those were precious moments. You look back with fondness at those moments. You know why? Because, because it was a father whom you could see. So you'll say, a father? Is that a way to speak of Hashem? I should think about a father? And the answer is yes. In order to come to at least a little bit of love, it's necessary to develop an amuna chushis, a belief in Hashem that you could feel, not only with your mind, but with your nerves. Now there are other ways as well. Many other ways to practice up achieving amuna chushis. And in the short time we have left, we'll discuss a few of them. It's not only davening. You have to know that by any mitzvah is a great opportunity for das, the true knowledge of Hashem. I'll explain that. You know what the word mitzvah means? It comes from the word tzave. Tzave comes from tzavach, to shout. The hey and the ches are interchangeable letters in Lashon Kodesh. Vitzivanu means that Hashem is shouting. Do it! That's what you should be thinking whenever you do a mitzvah. You shouldn't do it merely. You shouldn't do it merely mitzvahs anoshim milumach milumadaha milumada just out of habit or even because it's a good thing. That's not enough. Of course, if you're careful to be mekayim all the dikduke mitzvahs, you'll get reward for that. No question about it. Ein hakadosh baruchu mekapeach sechar. Kol Birya. Hashem will give everybody reward, absolutely. But it cannot, it cannot compare to a person who applies his mind and uses the opportunity of a mitzvah to gain Das Hashem. Das Hashem is the greatest achievement you could squeeze out of a mitzvah. When you keep in mind who it is that has commanded you to do this mitzvah, you become a changed person. Even if you do it just once, it's worth it. You're thinking, Hashem is shouting at me, do it! Fulfill my word. And those thoughts transform your mind from a mind of Chochmas Hashem to a mind of Das Hashem. And that's the most important accomplishment that Hashem wants from, those, from the mitzvahs. You do it because you're thinking, Hashem is shouting at me to do it. 
And every day, not only every day, every mitzvah, Hashem becomes more and more real to you. Now, that's already an entirely new way of doing mitzvahs. When you're putting on tefillin, you're thinking, Hashem, I'm listening to you, Hashem. I'm putting on tefillin. Yes, that's why I'm doing it. Because you're looking down at me and waiting. Doing a mitzvah like that is an experience. It's an experience in a moon of chushis. Tefillin is very important. But the das Hashem you gain from putting on tefillin that way is even more of an achievement than the mitzvah itself. Little by little, if you do mitzvahs with the kavana of the mitzvah, of the mitzvah, vitzivanu, you're shouting at me. So little by little, you gain a feeling that Hashem is right there. When you pass a mezuzah, so you kiss it. It's a habit, a good habit, a beautiful habit. But there are much greater things than beautiful habits. When you pass a mezuzah, stop for a few seconds and think. Vitzivanu, Hashem commanded us to put up this mezuzah. That's emunah. And when you are making any kind of preparation for Shabbos, you're baking in the kitchen, you're out on the avenue shopping, whatever it is, you should know how important that opportunity is. Think, I'm preparing now for Shabbos because you commanded me to keep the Shabbos. You're shouting at me, Zachor Yom HaShabbos L'Kodsho. Remember to keep the day of Shabbos holy. And you're looking down at me and watching. And that brings us to one more opportunity that we'll speak about tonight. And that is that Hashem is always watching. He's always looking. And the more you think about that, the more successful you are. And that's why the Torah says, forget about the philosophy that Hashem has no eyes, that He's lemaila from those things. Forget about that. We have to think that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is looking at us. And He is looking at us. Think, He has eyes. Yes, you should think He has eyes. Eine Hashem heima mishoytetim b'chol ha'aretz. The eyes of Hashem are looking everywhere. Zechariah. He's looking. No question about it. And because we are human beings living in a physical world, we cannot, we cannot imagine looking unless there are eyes that look. So we have to think of Eine Hashem. When you walk in the streets, imagine a pair of tremendous eyes looking at you. Don't say it's silly. You're silly if you lose the opportunity. Eyes are looking at you wherever you're walking. David HaMelech says it too. Hashem Mishamayim Hishkif Al Bnei Adam He's looking down from the heavens to Hillim. Now forget about the sky. Forget about the heavens. They're too far away. When you walk in the street, say to yourself, Hashem is looking, but where is He looking from? And therefore, it's not enough to merely say He's looking because you don't really believe in it. You don't really believe it. You know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Kulo Seichel, Kulo Ruchni. He doesn't have eyes to see, so you forget about, you, so you forget all about him. And therefore, if you want to be a success, you will make sure to actually imagine Hashem's eyes looking down at you from the window of this house that you're passing by. Imagine that he's peeking at you from behind the window shade. Oh, now we're talking. Now you're being, you're beginning to feel it. He's watching me. The truth is that if you knew there was a little 10-year-old girl staring at you from the window, you'd be aware. You'd make sure your shirt was tucked in and your tie was straight because a 10-year-old girl is real and she has real eyes. And so if you leave here tonight and try this for one minute on your way home, Hashem is looking at me. 
then you're already on the way. Now, if you try it every day, even for one minute a day, you're already a great man. Don't walk out here and forget about what we spoke. Even if you just do it for one week, a minute a day, for a week, you're dogul, mediviva. You're one out of 10,000. I'll tell you something. When I was in Slobodka, I heard from the older yeshiva men that with, that, that I, I heard from the older, from the older yeshiva men that there was a Musser Shtibel in Kovno. In Kovno, there was a special Musser house. So I went there. I left the Seder once. I left the yeshiva and walked across the river and went to, and went to the Musser house. I walked in and I was by, oh, I was all by myself in that old Musser house. And I was sitting there. It's an opportunity, I thought. So I was thinking, I should work on this. Hashem is looking at me. So I sat there for an hour, for a full hour, and I sat there by myself, thinking that Hashem is looking at me. It was in the old Musser Stiebel in Kovno. And I don't regret that experience. Not at all. I left that Musser Stiebel a different person altogether. It's so important. And you must find time for it. The great Sadiqim of ancient times spent weeks and months on that. Of course, they did other things too. But they were constantly working on this attitude, this awareness that our Kaddish Baruch Hu is looking. All the time, his eyes are looking at you. Of course, everybody says, it's a waste of time, I know it already. I have other things to do, things that I don't know about. No, trust me, you don't know about this either. And so you better work on it until you feel Hashem is looking at you. It's a lot of homework I'm giving you. But if you do it and you get a little bit of hargasha, then it was worth all the effort because now you're living successfully. That's called living. And so when Moshe Rabbeinu was told that he would soon leave this world and the Am Yisrael would be dispersed throughout the land of Canaan among all the idolatrous nations, there was a peril that had to be countered. The peril of forgetting about how real Hashem is. The entire nation had lived for 40 years with the Mishkan, the house where Hashem lives, within their eyesight at all times. You can't imagine what it does to a person's neshama to be able to point at a home, a real house with walls and curtains and roofs, and to be able to say, my Hashem lives there. The same way they were able to point to Moshe Rabbeinu's tent, to Aaron Kohen's tent, and to their neighbor's tent, they were able to point to the tent of Hashem as well. That was how the Am Yisrael acquired Das. Every day for 40 years. That's why they were the Dordea. And now that great era was about to come to an end. They were going to, they were going to enter Eretz Yisrael. And now that great period of, of Hagshama was coming to an end. Moshe Rabbeinu was leaving them and they would be dispersed over hundreds of miles far from the house of Hashem. And that was the great peril the Am Yisrael would now face to be far away from Das Hashem, sensory perception of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They would be surrounded by Oivde Avoida Zara, idol worshippers, who could point at their idols and visit the homes of their gods and bring food to feed their hungry gods. As false as it was, it was real. It was something you could feel. Something you could see with your senses. And so in Parshish Pinchas, as they prepared to enter Eretz Canaan, they were introduced to the Korbanos, the daily Korban Tamid, as well as the Musafim 
of the Yomim, of the Yomim Tovim. The Am Yisrael, wherever they would settle in Eretz Canaan, knew that the Kohanim were bringing the food of Hashem onto his Mizbeach every day. And then three times a year, the Am Yisrael would make a long trek to Yerushalayim. For days, even weeks, the entire nation was traveling the roads to visit the house of Hashem. And for what? That's what Hashem taught us in Parshas Pinchas. To bring to me at Korbani Lachmi my offerings, my bread, Pinchas. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, I'm going to give you the gift of Da'as Hashem by means of Korbonus. You bring Korbonus to me and these Korbonus are going to help you believe in me. How is that? Command the Bnei Yisrael and say to them, my offerings, my bread on the fires, you should make sure to bring for me as a sweet savor. Lachmi means my bread. My bread? Can you say that a korbon is bread for Hashem? It's chiruf vigiduf. Chalila to say such a thing. Hashem doesn't need any food. But Hashem says, say it anyway, because I want it to be real in your minds. And that would be the great salvation for the Am Yisrael. Korbonus would help them actually believe in Hashem. Even though Hashem doesn't need our food, He doesn't need our korbonus, but we need it. When they brought the korbon, it was a shattering experience. They were excited. They felt that the Shekhinah was right there. They're bringing the bread to Hashem. And that's important. It's not true, but it's important to feel. We serve the king bringing food to him in his palace. That's progress in the great achievement of true knowledge. And today when Moshe Rabbeinu is not with us, and the house where Hashem lives is destroyed, it's no different. We see people getting lost. Many people are getting lost today. Even the Fruma. We love them and we appreciate them to no end. But so many have forgotten about Hashem as a real and personal being. And so we have to utilize whatever we have and fight back against the distancing of Hashem from our minds. That the world is is foisting upon us. The whole world is fighting against the truest thing in the world. HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Evolution, atheism, materialism, liberalism. The world is doing its best to make us forget about Hashem. And we're fighting against all of them. How do you fight? You don't need to fight with your fists. But we have to fight against the weakening of the true knowledge of Hashem that has seeped into our minds from the nations around us. Today we don't have korbanos, unfortunately. But at least we have tefillah, and we have mitzvahs, and we also have our imaginations. Pictures in our minds. You daven with kavana and you learn Torah because Hashem is looking down at you, telling you to learn another line of Gemara. You wash your hands before the meal, and you make the bracha. Hashem is commanding me, vitzivanu, He's shouting at me to do it. And when you walk down the street, you're imagining that He's looking at you from the apartment window. From behind that window shade, He's peeking at me. Whatever you can do, you do with Hargasha Kishis. That's the way we fight back against the world. And by means of this, all of our lives, we are gaining an awareness of Hashem as a real entity that is close by. He's looking at us, loving us, guiding us, a real being that is in charge of all of the affairs of the world. And when a person will make use of this program, the program that we find in Tanakh of making Hashem real, he'll succeed at actually living with Hashem in his life. And that's our success and our greatness here 
in this physical world. That's why we're here. The more real Hashem is to you, the more you have succeeded in your coming to this world. To take the great ideas of the Torah and to make them so close to one's perception that they become live and sensory pictures is the great difference between not knowing Hashem and yes, knowing Him. To take the great ideals and translate them so they can be felt by your physical senses, that's the greatness of man. And therefore, forever and ever, a man will be measured by the amount of true knowledge of Hashem that he achieved in this world. Have a wonderful Shabbos.